Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. On today's World Insight, with China and the U.S. keen on improving relations, both are counting on renewable energy to reach climate targets. How feasible are joint green projects? Direct answers from Neil Bush, the founder and chair of the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. Hello and welcome to World Inside with me, Tian Wei. After the China-U.S. summit in San Francisco, I've been having a series of conversations with people in the know from both sides. Today, let's meet Neil Bush, the founder and chair of George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. He held the green cooperation between China and the United States as a new model for cooperation between the two sides. Our conversation started from there. We saw the Sunnyland Agreement between China and the United States right before the mm. San Francisco summit between the two presidents. Do you see that likely to be further implemented and reconfirmed I mean, at I, COP28? I, yeah, what I, about implementation? I'm really not sure what the role of COP28 is in, those kind of, in that kind of consideration. I'm not an expert in the, in the field yeah. from a policy perspective, but it, it can't help. It can't help you know, but to move things forward. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, it makes me more optimistic. I just love the fact that American and Chinese leaders are getting together and that they put issues on the table and have discussions in a respectful way. And I'm I'm confident that long climate, overdue, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it's been there's been a you know the the walls have gone up, and the the mistrust has been built building up, um, and so now that COVID is over you know, we're able to get back together again. And I, my, my father was a, a big believer in using personal relationships for diplomatic purposes. Uh, and the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations is inspired by his vision. And so we bring people together from the Chinese side, the American side. We've had party-to-party dialogue. You know, we're a Communist Party, Republicans and Democrats, former leaders in a track two setting come together. We have youth from China and the United States come together. We need more exchange, more, you know, dialogue. When you're present with other people, when you're in their presence, it's hard to say bad things about them, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> as simple as that, isn't it? <laughs> it's very simple, but yeah. if you're on a debate stage, mm. right now there are many Republicans trying to, trying to become the competitor to Donald Trump for the nomination. All of them are like talking smack about China because that's kind of low-hanging fruit politically for them. You know, but if they ticket. came to China, they would see you know, that what they're saying isn't even true, or it is the fears they're raising among mm. our population mm. are, are, you know, based on, you know, false, um, kind of false facts. Right. I want to ask you about the people-to-people exchange, because yeah. that's exactly what your foundation has been doing so mm. many years. Right. Is it as easy as earlier no. to persuade people to be on that kind of platform and do something concrete? There are some people who are not active in politics, who were active in politics, who, who do engage, you know, former trade um, officials, uh, former ambassadors and that kind of thing in, in cross-border dialogue or bilateral dialogue. 
but but it's hard to get people that are actively engaged in the political system right now. I was so happy to see Governor Newsom. I'm not a Democrat, but I was so happy to see a governor of a big state in the United States bring a delegation uh, to China and to Guangdong, um, you know, to promote his state and to be and to be you know be present here. So, um, but that's rare. It's kind of it's 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 a little bit like pulling teeth right now to get people to join fora forums, you know, regarding U.S. and China. And it's what would you sad. do in order to put that teeth? Um, I think we're going to have to give it time, honestly. Mm. You know, Henry Kissinger just passed away. He was a, in my father, we would have celebrated his 99th birthday last week. So interestingly, the two kind of two of the giants of U.S.-China relations are now off out of the, off the scene entirely. And I'm, I just have a hard time knowing what you know, statesman is waiting in the wings to take on uh, building trust and a closer relationship with China. It's vital to the Chinese national interests and the U.S. national interests are linked. Your success is integral to our success. Our success is integral to your success. And we have the ability to, to blow everything up if we want to, not just in a... In a, Many times. In a war, that's true, but also economically, if, if this whole concept of decoupling, and, and Republicans talk about it like, it's, a, like it's, it's practical, it's not even practical, but the whole concept of decoupling is basically like a nuclear, it's the, it's the version in an economic sense of a nuclear war. You know, it would destroy China, it would destroy the United States, and nobody wants that at the end of the day. But the, anyway, so right now we, we have a lot of dangerous political rhetoric, mm. and hopefully th those people won't, you know, if they ever get to be in power, they won't act on their rhetoric. Mm. But what does it take? You think it takes statesmen? Yeah. I think a... What I, kind of statesmen now I mean, I, are in urgent need? Yeah, I mean, if I, I really believe, so right now the approval rating in the, in the minds of American people towards China is way down. You know, China's been beaten up over and over. Donald Trump started this rhetoric, you know, <laughs> belittling China and turning China into an enemy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And others now have followed suit. It's, it's become a political, you know, uh, kind of low-hanging fruit politically. A, a single leader, a real president could step up and start talking about how over the many years of our bilateral trade relationship, the United States has benefited tremendously from it. The Chinese have. Hundreds of millions of people have been lifted out of mm. poverty, in large part due to our bilateral trade, but not just ours, globally. Um, and we should take great pride in, in the success of the Chinese economy. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, we've got to get back on track in terms of mm. recognizing that this is a win-win there's a win-win potential that mm. needs to be realized. How can we understand the latest uh, meeting between the two presidents yeah. in San Francisco? Yeah, it's very interesting to me because I feel like there are two currents running. They're going in opposite directions. You know, the, the, the recent meetings of the two presidents, which was preceded by meetings at very high levels of different government ministerial level type people coming, Americans coming here, Chinese going to the United States, all of that has been, you know, a positive, a current towards a positive development, a warming of relations and more respect and in potentially future collaboration. The other stream is the political process in the U.S. We have an election coming up, and as I've already discussed, I'm kind of obsessed with this sad fact 
that in, in a political context, if you were to say something favorable, favorable about engaging with China, you, you'd get clobbered. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get past the, you know, the first base. So, so anyway, so I'm, I'm, there are two different tides going forward. President Xi, President Biden meeting was very good. They met in Bali. Nothing really came out of that. There were some big talk and promises. Hopefully there's going to be more momentum for you know, moving this relationship forward in a pr productive way. I'm, I'm actually pleased that Biden, I'm, I'm disappointed he hasn't reduced or removed tariffs on most of the, the products that are being shipped from China to the U.S. There may be some that, that he has justification for keeping on. But, but I'm pleased that he's at least initiated these dialogue, this dialogue with his, his um, cabinet and, and with ministers mm -hmm. here. So that's, there's some good, good positive developments. Mm. But every step of the way needs great implementation yeah. in order to win trust from both sides. I mean, if you had people-to-people -people exchanges, that's great. More students coming from China to the U.S. and vice versa coming here. Um, you know, having government-to-government -government type meetings, but you know, business-to-business. -business. Businesses that already have deep connections in China mm -hmm. should be more vocal about the win-win environment that they've invested in here and that they're taking advantage of the big China market or they're getting advantages from making their products in China and having them shipped back uh, to the U.S. or around yeah. the world. So, yeah, there's, a, there's gonna, a lot of exchange needs to take place. Mm. Um, I do think, by the way, Governor Newsom's kind of you know, breaking the wall down and coming as a state leader. I think it's more likely that state leaders or city mayors, you know, will have better opportunity to come to China mm -hmm. to promote their local community as opposed to a federal uh, effort at the, you know, in the U.S. So, you know, that, that I think that it's going to take step by step. It's, things are going to get more and more connected. Mm -hmm. What have you found out when it comes to business, when you were talking to Chinese entrepreneurs? Um, great question. So I, I guess one of my bigger observations is that the comp many companies I've met, I've met um, clothing manufacturer, a tire manufacturing company, an EV, a, an electric vehicle car manufacturing company. I've met companies that are involved in the renewable energy space. And many of these companies are trying to find ways to, to, to land outside of China, to globalize or to internationalize. And they're doing so in part because the tariffs make it impossible to sell their products into the U.S. So if they set up in one group I, I'm f very familiar with, um, has operations in Cambodia, and they can ship their tires from Cambodia into the U.S., and they do ship, and they, they have a manufacturer. Third party. Third party, there, yeah. so there's, they, they, they're uh, kind of off, offshoring their, their production. China's advantage used to be cheap labor, but now you go into Chinese factories, the automation that you see, the implementation of technology to, to make stuff, their manufacturing skills, their efficiency in making stuff has gone to really high levels. And so their competitive advantage isn't cheap labor so much as it is you know, the, the technology to make things efficiently. Mm -hmm. And they've got the, the, the supply chain issues and the shipping issues and all those kinds of things mm -hmm. totally figured out. So China's continues to remain a really prime, you know, um, kind of manufacturer of mm -hmm. choice for many, much of the world. Anyway, so those are observations. I'm not sure I can answer the question about what Chinese business people think about the Chinese economy. I was in a session 
uh, at CIC, where, where Ambassador Max Baucus led a delegation, and, and one of the presenters there was talking about how, you know, the American media and American political elite, if you will, have for many years talked about how China's economy was going to go into the tank. And I've, I've witnessed this myself. You see in the newspapers, you know, today the more current, most current thing is the real estate, you know, issues. You know, it's going to create this giant mess for China. China's, go China's economy is going to go into the tank, it's going to sink, and everybody's going to be in, in a depression or something here. That, there, there are different iterations of that, of that um, skepticism or that prognostication of doom that have, have taken place over the past 30 years and it's never so the Chinese system has it has the ability to apparently to power through you know every five-year plan after a five-year plan the, the the KPIs that are put in place mm. for the leaders of all these various jurisdictions right. you know they meet the goals and so I the, the fact that the Chinese economy has grown at 5% this year to me is a pretty positive sign that the Chinese economy is not going into the tank. And I don't get the sense that Chinese business people are, are doom and gloom about the economy. I, you, you would have a better sense than I would of that. So you believe the presidencies mm -hmm. would be able to justify this current state of the Chinese economy? The what? The, the, pre the presidencies of uh, assessment of Chinese economy mm -hmm. uh, have not been Never uh, been good. Yeah. Never been accurate. And therefore, this time will be very similar. Yeah, I'm. I'm, 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 I'm guessing that's true. That, that that's not a very scientific analysis. Okay, I mean, there are people that are economists that could sit in this chair and give you a much better answer on that. Um, I would. I would bet, however, that many of the economists, you know, who are predicting China's doom mm -hmm. and gloom, are probably going to be wrong. So yeah, I, I, so yeah, I, my I impression see. is the Chinese haven't used all the tools in their tool kit to try to address the, the economic challenges. What are left? I have no idea. You, you tell me. There's <laughs> got to be some economic like stimulus. In, the, in America, we just spend more money. You know, we've got this giant debt and not, Republicans are just as guilty as Democrats. We have a $33 trillion debt with inflation. The interest on that debt now represents 16% of our annual um, growth GDP, which is a huge number. The Chinese, I think, have room to borrow and build if they want. I think the Chinese are more prudent than, than the United States has been. But there's, I have a feeling there are economic stimulus available in the, in the Chinese you know, economic toolkit. In the Congratulation letters given by Chinese President Xi Jinping. There's a sentence specifically talking about China taking advantage of high level of opening up policy to encourage high quality development. Mm -hmm. um, if you just focus on renewables, for example, the Chinese have put, as you know, very ambitious um, goals, 2030, 2060 goals out there. Um, and the amazing thing about the Chinese system is when the goals are set from the top, they're followed all the way through the system. And so when I go visit party secretaries of Wuhu, for example, or in, um, in, in Anhui province, you know, one of the things they talk about is the economic growth in their thing. We're going to grow at 5% or whatever. But they're also talking about the things they're doing mm. to accommodate the green initiatives that are required. And so they're talking about the wind and the manufacturers. Anyway, so you have a government policy and a government system that is pushing change. 
as a result of these ambitious plans being pushed from the top down, China has become a huge implementer of renewables, of wind, sun, storage. I went right. to Inner Mongolia as one of my one of my five trips this year, and drove you know into the countryside and saw one windmill after another after another after yeah. another, and it was amazing. And to think that in the Gobi Desert, where there's very little population, it's like the Saudi Arabian gold you know or, or oil you know field or going to a gold mine. It's like amazing. It's an amazing gift that God mm -hmm. gave China. That uh, power is being sh transmitted through high-powered transmission lines to Beijing. So, I mean, it's, ve it's very clear to me that China has become the largest pr manufacturer of solar panels, of yeah. wind turbines and windmills, um, of batteries. They, they're, and they're the, the largest exporter of those products to the world. And they can, they can internationalize and localize their mm -hmm. production capability in other parts mm -hmm. of the world, which they're, trying, I think, going to try to do. But you know that's that's I, I have confidence in China in the renewable space because they're dominant. Right. In it. By yeah. the way, I'm working with a company in Nanjing that is a that has a carbon capture technology that uses an ammonia-based solution. They're the only ones in the world to do it. They've got a commercial plant being built in Inner Mongolia. There's a huge demand for power plants that are spewing out in cement manufacturing and other right. in other operations spewing out carbon for this kind of technology. So technology isn't just being developed outside of China and coming in, but it's also being developed more and more like the solar, the wind, the pan and all that, including carbon capture and hydrogen and all these things that are that'll be useful and exported to the world. So Neil, I see you are everywhere in China. Yeah, I, I have been. <laughs> no wonder it's five times to eight times every year. The question Americans have and American businesses have, and I hear people raise from time to time is, when they say open up, what does China really mean? I mean, are they really opening up? Is the regulatory process, is the regulatory system going to be fair when I come into China and make an investment in China? You know, is there really a level playing field? You know, and there are, there are thousands and thousands of companies that are already here. So the answer obviously is that even before this high level opening up, there's already been enough of an opening up that companies feel comfortable doing business here and they make profits here and they participate in the market here. But I think there's skepticism and maybe it's part of the whole geopolitical, you know, concern about the rising power of China, you know, as part of the mentality. That's exactly the question I want to follow up. But what is the priority? for U.S. global companies. Mm -hmm. Is it about domestic politics scoring this, you know, making the right score in mm -hmm. domestic politics? That's a, it's like, Standing that's in teams? Interestingly, uh, Making the right checks? Mm -hmm. In other words, whether China is doing enough, quote unquote, right, right. does it matter at all? Mm -hmm. And what is doing enough? Yeah, no, I think, I think it does matter that China does as much as it can to be to provide incentives and a level playing field and you know protections for foreign investment into China. I think that's really critical. Without it, there'd be no discussion. Um, but you're right. I think the geopolitical, you know, uh, you know, tr challenges are creating uncertainty for foreign investment into China, American companies that are here, some have shrunk their operations and have moved overseas outside of China, uh, but some are growing here. It just depends on what the business is and how risk, risky the sector is that they're in. You know what I mean? If you're in semiconductors, you probably want to think about moving some of your operations offshore. 
but if you're in something, you know, like you know, medical devices or something like that, you probably wouldn't have such a big concern. So mm. I think it depends on the sector as well. Uh, so yeah, I, there's a big, there's all, I don't know, one of the things that's been interesting for me to observe is this question of intellectual property, because that's a lot of companies, mm. you know, have to think about whether their, 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 their um, intellectual property will be protected in China. And I've heard there have been, you know, um, kind of rules and regulations put in place that are, that are safeguarding right. overseas intellectual property. Um, having said that, the U.S. has been putting lots of effort into trying to find theft of intellectual property, and there have been very few cases prosecuted, and some of the cases that have been brought to the court system have been thrown out for being, so there's kind of a McCarthyistic witch hunt type mentality, which has influenced businesses thinking about coming into China. The mentality of businesses. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be, they, they think there must be some problem with the intellectual, you know, with right. their being able to protect their assets, right. and, and yet, there's been no real massive discovery of intellectual property theft, as mm -hmm. far as I know. The other thing is about tech. Yeah. Um, the decoupling is happening in that area the most. Yeah. So, Neil, your thoughts? Um, it's, a, I, it's a great question. So, I, I, I met with leaders of Huawei in the past. Who's based in? But I met them in. Are they? Okay, in I didn't know that. I met yeah. them in. I met some people in Somewhere Washington. Else, yeah. Yeah, and they were they were they were talking about the decoupling in the context that for 6G or whatever the next level of communications you know network is going to be that the Chinese are going to be developing their own that the United States has 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 not been cooperative in developing a standard for that next next uh, level of of speed of connectivity. And, and so the chips that are Chinese, made from China and the chips that are made for the U.S. is, is it's stupid. It's, just, it, it's really, I mean, the communications, you know, facilitates, you know, closeness and understanding. It also can drive people apart as well. But, yeah. but if, you're, if you build walls to the technology that you have access to, that seems to me to be going the wrong direction. It's a dramatically changing world. Mm -hmm. We have to all find our own core, mm -hmm. our own compass. I really wonder how do you, amid all these bigger environment, mm -hmm. you know, small, uh, in, uh, you know, bigger environment and your own projects of work mm -hmm. and life, and try to find the balance of your own. Yes. Uh, well, anything to suggest? Yeah, I, I've, I've become obsessed recently with this whole topic of longevity, of living a longer, healthy life. And there's a book called Outlive by a guy named Peter Attia. And if you read that book, I think you'll become convinced. Peter will be very happy since you're doing free promotion <laughs> yeah, for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He sold over a million guys. He doesn't need my help. He's a very popular author. But you'll become convinced that you can avoid getting, you, you can have a higher probability of avoiding dying from cancer at a young age or dying from a heart disease at a young age. You know, if you practice good health practices, including keeping your body strong, because when you get to be 70, 60, 70, 80 years mm -hmm. old, things deteriorate. Your body, your heart strength, you have to keep your heart strong. So exercise is number one. Number two is diet. And it's not, just don't eat too much. You know, it doesn't, he's, he doesn't prescribe what diet's good for you or for me. Just don't overeat. People common don't, sense, once again. Common sense. Number three is sleep. 
you got to get a good quality sleep every night. And number four, which is one of the things that Henry Kissinger had, and one of the things I feel like I have, and you probably have as well, is you need to be connected and engaged and use your brain and be like in a loving environment uh, or to live a life of purpose. You know, to feel like you're helping others and living a life of purpose gives you strength and you know it allows you to well is part of the four legs of the stool of living longer and healthy life. That sounds so like a very healthy panda to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like everyone can take control of their own health. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm 68 years old and I don't want I want to live to be a, a hundred years old and I want to play with my great grandkids and watch grandkids grow up and do wonderful things and um, so yeah I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it. By then, the world will be better? Yeah, it's got to be. Got to be. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. I mean, I, so I'm the chairman of Points of Light, which is an organization my father started. And it's, we, we, we inspire, equip, and mobilize more people to serve others. And there are so many stories that we see, in that, that I see in that capacity as chairman, of young people who are doing amazing things in their community. Right. So I'm encouraged that young people are going to figure it out and, and make this world a better place after all the adults go away. That's my latest conversation with Neil Bush, the founder and chair of the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations.